All right, I'm excited to get into the Word. So um, we are in our Words Matter series. This is week three. Um, if you have missed either of the first two weeks, um, go back and listen to it. Uh, trust me, just do it. Uh, it's for your own good. Go back and, and watch, listen to the first two weeks. Um, Dustin has done a phenomenal job starting off the series. Uh, I feel like he always like crushes, and then he's like, hey, Devin, you want to speak? And I'm like, <laughs> perfect. Um, so uh, anyway, I am excited about this uh, to, to share with you guys. We're going to go to a, a very uh, uh, well-known passage of scripture. It's on the Good Samaritan. And so we're going to go to Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. And I'll read, us, read this for us here. Um, it says, and a lawyer... This is not a, a civil lawyer. This is a, a lawyer of the law of God. This is a, a Pharisee that knows the word of God. He stood up and put him, being Jesus, to test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Jesus saying, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, the lawyer says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he pulled that from the law back in the Old Testament. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, the lawyer says back to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Today's word is neighbor. Today's word is neighbor. That's why I'm rocking this Mr. Mr. Rogers <laughs> cardigan right here, right? Uh, we talked about uh, this week in the office uh, doing a whole Mr. Rogers bit. Uh, for, for the youngins in the room, Mr. Rogers, he was a, uh, <laughs> it's an old TV show, yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm excited to share with you about um, this word today, uh, how we kind of think of this word and how Jesus kind of intends this word, the, the meaning of this word. Let's pray before we go any further. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Uh, for what you have already done in this place. Uh, but God, I, I pray that, I pray that uh, you would help us to live in your grace. I pray that you would help us to fully open our minds, open our hearts to what you have truly done that love and grace that we were singing of, that, that we would really begin to unpack and grasp what that is so that we can live in that. Help us, Lord Jesus. We pray all that in your name. Amen. Amen. So the English definition of the word neighbor, it's, it's broken down um, to near dweller. So it's someone, the English definition is someone that lives close to you, someone that lives near to you. Um, and you know, Tara and I, when we moved back from Charlotte, we, we picked a house from Charlotte. So we were remotely, we didn't know what the whole neighborhood situation was 
was going to be like. So it was kind of an interesting experience, you know. You just kind of pull up to this place. You don't even <laughs> you're about to live there, and you don't even know what it's like. And, um, and, you know, one of the things that as we talk about where we live, one of the things that we always talk about is how much we are so blessed because of our neighbors. Uh, all the kids love the neighbors. They have friends to play with. We hang out with our neighbors uh, quite regularly. There's, it seems like at least once a month, there's some sort of hangout. And if it wasn't planned, it just kind of happens. You know, we're on someone's driveway hanging out and talking before we know it. It's midnight and we've just been hanging out. Um, so we, we truly feel blessed. Anytime we've ta- even kicked around the idea of moving to a different house, um, it's like, yeah, but like our neighbors, like we don't want to, we don't want to leave that. We've truly been blessed because of, of the neighbors that we have. And I, I feel like I kind of have to say that because some of them are here today, but um, no, <laughs> no, I truly, truly mean that uh, from the bottom of my heart. We have really We've been blessed, but I have to admit, and I don't know about you guys, um, sometimes we struggle with this, like, really connecting with our neighbors, don't we? We kind of struggle with connecting with our neighbors. Um, we're, it's really easy to kind of just, like, pull up to the house and open the, the back cave and just, like, pull in and shut that baby down and walk back right into the house. You don't have to See anyone say anything? Like, it's really easy to do that, isn't it? Uh, we, we are really, uh, in this culture, last year, we started the year with this series of ruthless elimination of hurry, uh, and we really just live in this busyness, don't we? Like, we're constantly going to that next thing, and we're moving, 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 or or. If we're not, we've tricked ourselves into thinking so, and so we, we kind of live in this busyness. If you're not busy, you're not doing enough, you're not cool, whatever, right? And it's kind of that, that thing. But we, we have this inward focus in our culture today, in this digital age, it's kind of fed into that more and more because, you know, we just kind of in our own little world. And uh, we're very, very, we can be inward focused. And so sometimes... Connecting and loving your neighbor can be a struggle, can be a struggle. I pulled some statistics um, because I was kind of curious, like, how's this play out? So I pulled some statistics. 42% of Americans consider their neighbors as just acquaintances, 42%. 24% consider their neighbors complete strangers. So one-fourth Complete strangers, don't even know who you are. Almost 20% don't know a single name of a neighbor. Almost 20%. I think, think we can kind of struggle in this, this area here. Almost 20% don't even know a name of a neighbor. I, I pulled another study that shows kind of by generations, all right? So by generations, uh, it did this study. And one of the questions they asked was, what generation uh, knows um, at least 11 names or more of their neighbors? All right, so we're going to do a little, I'm going to test you guys. Let's see how this goes. So uh, we've, your options are boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, all right? So knows 11 or more names of their neighbor. Who's going with Boomers. All right. 
How about Gen X? Gen X, all right. Spread out pretty good. All right, millennials? We're fading. We're fading. Gen Z. Gen Z. We're done. All right. Um, (laughs) so, So if you said... Boomers, you are correct. You are correct. So boomers, there's 25% of the baby boomers that know 11 or more of their neighbors' names. Uh, Now, what's interesting is the next best, it goes from 25% to 12%, 12%. And um, that was the millennials. So what's interesting is, though, they kind of had to break down the millennials So the younger half of the millennials were the ones that were second best at 12%. The the older ones, that would be me, um, and for all you boomers and Gen Xs out there, don't judge me. I know how you talk about us millennials, all right? Uh, But but the older ones, and Mike Duke, thank you for uh, informing me. I don't know where he's at, but um, last week, uh, Sunday afternoon, we had a worship team hangout. And he informed me that the older uh, millennials are called geriatric millennials. <laughs> so that's a real confidence booster there. Um, so anyway, the, the geriatric millennials, um, we were the worst. So it's kind of interesting that, that uh, within the same generation, second best to complete worst, I would say we have an opportunity to get better here. Can we all kind of agree to that? I wanted to read you guys this story that I read from a book that was really impactful to me. I think it will be for you as well. And and I'll warn you, there's kind of some graphic uh, pieces to this, but I think it really emphasizes the point. So back in 2014, a journalist was near the border of Lebanon and Syria interviewing Syrian refugees. They're at a Lebanese tent settlement when this, all the ISIS threats were flying everywhere. This was back just about nine, eight, eight years ago. And uh, this reporter spoke to a 13-year-old boy named Muhammad where he uh, shared uh, one time he was playing outside and he witnessed a rebel's sniper's bullet penetrate the, the skull of his cousin as they were playing outside. And he instantly died. And then his uncle ran over to check on his son, and the sniper shot him right in the face and killed him as well. And shortly after, this 13-year-old boy, Muhammad, witnessed a Syrian tank then run over the bodies of his uncle and his cousin. Muhammad's classmates told very similar stories They spoke of bombings and corpse and torture, people lost limbs, and almost all these poor little kids that witnessed all these terrible things, they showed signs of psychological trauma, social dysfunction, including speech impediments, panic attacks. I mean, can you imagine? They either shrank back when you would try to to touch them, or they would just cling on just in desperation for affection. A three-year-old, Suhib, hadn't spoken a word since he was there at the shelter, and every time a plane flew overhead, he would, he would run in these terrified circles, just panicking because of 
what he associated with a plane flying overhead. His older brother, seven years old, Hamza, suffered from night terrors where he would just shake uncontrollably. This recorder, he, uh, this journalist, he recorded similar stories like this over his two-week stay, and he, he made his way back home to America, where in America we were debating whether to allow Syrian refugees into our country. Arriving back to his apartment, he phoned a friend, a Christian friend that he could talk to about the horrors that he had witnessed. He shared all of these terrible stories of all these little kids and these things that they had witnessed. And his friend listened patiently to the stories, but then he responded, that's sad, but we can't be responsible for those children. We've got our hands full here in America with our own problems. The journalist kind of taken back by his Christian friend's response, he paused for a moment and then he asked him, but what if those children were your neighbors? And his friend said, well, in that case, I guess I would have to do something to help them. See, I think Jesus is calling a neighbor a little bit more than just a near dweller that lives close by. So we're going to dive into this story of the Good Samaritan to see, you know, what is Jesus kind of telling us through this story? And this story, this parable um, is uh, largely misunderstood uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have always kind of associated with this story just like a story of doing good, you know, like a story of doing good for people. Anyone else? Yeah. Just, a, you know, that's how I kind of always associated this story. But parables and the, the parables that Jesus spoke about and shared, all of them had to do with salvation. It was actually about salvation. The initial question that the lawyer asked was, how do I inherit eternal life? That's how it all started. Now we know the lawyer, his, his motives, his intentions weren't in the, the best place because it clearly said he was testing Jesus as he was doing that, which just as I read that, you know, hindsight, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to do this. But, you know, you think, you were testing Jesus? Like, what are you thinking, right? Like, it's like asking John Mayer, hey, would you like me to teach you the, the chord progressions to gravity? He's like, no, I got it. I created it. Like, I'm good there, right? Like, LeBron, you need some help on how to take off to, to dunk? You know, no, I think I, I'm good, dude, Right? Um, it's, it's like you're asking the one that created it, what does it mean? And, and like he doesn't know. I know, I went LeBron on purpose for you, Dad. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so the lawyer, you know, Jesus kind of throws it back in his court, right? He asks, how do you get eternal life? Jesus punts it right back to him. What do you think, and the lawyer responds, you know, love God with all you've got, love your neighbor 
He pulled that from the Old Testament and Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus. And we know that that also is the great commandment that Jesus gave to us, to you and I. Uh, that beautiful video really uh, highlighted this so beautifully. But, but yeah, that's the great commandment that he's given us. He commanded us. Jesus commanded us to do that, to love God and love your neighbor. So Jesus says, you nailed it, dude. You got it. Go do it. Now all you got to do is go do it. I confirm you got it right. But this man, this lawyer, was so self-righteous that he thought to himself, all right, well, if that's it, I'm good there. He thinks, loving God, yep, got it. Loving your neighbor, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, of course, I love my, I love my friends, I love my family, I, I love my Pharisee friends that we talk about things with, you know, yeah, check, got it. He was so self-righteous that he, he just kind of blew past that. And so the lawyer, wishing to justify himself, asks the question, who is my neighbor then? I kind of like feel like there's a little sass behind that too, you know, like, yeah, well, uh, who is my neighbor then, guy, right? That's kind of how I, I read that. Did you know that uh, in order to be found, you have to first become aware that you're lost? In order to, to learn something, in order to grow, you have to first be humble enough to realize that you don't know the answers to everything already and that you can learn and you can grow something. So Jesus goes into this parable for this lawyer to kind of try to pull this out. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was about a 17-mile journey. This was a very, uh, this, this journey was a pretty steep decline downward uh, with, with kind of twists and turns to it. It was known to be kind of a dangerous journey. This Jer Jer Jerusalem to Jericho was, it was known to be a dangerous journey for all the people that were standing there listening, okay? So they had that context, Jesus goes on to say, he fell among robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Jesus is painting this very dramatic story and scene of what's going on. He says, and by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And I know we've talked about this before here, but... Uh, for the listener here, all of the, the Pharisees that were listening, they hear the priest is coming, and they immediately think, here comes the hero, here comes our guy, here comes one of us. He's going to save the day. But Jesus goes on, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, the language in this uh, actually, it, it, it signifies to us that he not only just kind of barely like swooped around the guy, he, he went around the guy. It, it was like he, he didn't want to just not help. He, it was like 
anti-help. It was like he was like shunning the man in this act of going around him. He saw him, he saw him hurting, but his, his response was, oh, I don't want any of that, I'm out. So he shows this man zero love. He shows him zero love. And you could argue, if he sees a man in need like that and shows zero love and in fact kind of shuns the man, you could, you could ask the question, does he love God? If you, <laughs> hey, if you love God, if you truly love God, you love people. You could, you could ask that question. So Jesus goes on, and all of the, the listeners are thinking, whoa, where is this going? Hard left turn. He says, likewise, a Levite. So they probably think to themselves, all right, here we go. Well, the priest screwed that up, but here's, here's the Levite, all right? He's the assistant to the priest. He's still, he's still our guy. Like, he'll, he'll take care of this. We, we'll be back on the track here. And Jesus continues on to say, likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. He too falls short. As I was reading and preparing for this, uh, I got convicted with the question. Uh, I feel like the Holy Spirit convicted me by saying, how many people do you walk by? How many people do you see and you walk by? I think of all the kids at school struggling with mental health issues, identity crisis issues. How many kids are we just walking by? I think of coworkers that are struggling and fighting through some sort of divorce where their family is is in shambles because they're, they're going through this nasty divorce and I'm so inward focused that I just walk on by. The waiter waiting on me at the restaurant that's paralyzed with financial stress and, and, and doesn't know how they're gonna make the rent payment that month and I just walk on by. I feel like the Holy Spirit was calling me out and saying, listen, break out of yourself, break out of your emotions that you're walking through each and every day, look around and love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. So who will love this man? You know, the, the audience, the Pharisees that are, are sitting here listening to Jesus, well, who's gonna love this man then? Jesus already shot down the Jewish elite and he goes into saying, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Again, I know we've talked about this here before, but a Samaritan uh, to a, a Pharisee at this time, uh, they considered Samaritans just scum, just they, they, they considered them dogs, less than the dogs. I mean, they considered them half-breed traitors. They, in fact, would use 
the, the name of a Samaritan to mock and make fun of people. They just thought that lowly of them. And here, he is the one. He is the one that does the right thing. He is the one that shows the compassion. Again, the video showed us so beautifully, but in Matthew 5, Jesus says, hey, loving your neighbor, it goes beyond what you think it does. I'm talking about loving even your enemy. We're, We're taking this another level or two up than what you're thinking in your head. I'm talking about loving your enemy. We have a a value here that says we love all people. That's one of our values here. Now, this value used to say love people. We intentionally added all in bold, like all people. Because we do this, don't we? we? We have these instinctual thoughts in our heads as we interact with different people and we kind of throw them in a box or we kind of stereotype them in a certain way. But no, we love all people. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your experience, your past looks like. We love all people. And I'm proud to say that, that we love all people here because Jesus taught us to love all people. So the Samaritan, he, he, he goes over to the man, came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them to help take care of his wounds. And in this day, they would travel with oil and wine to prepare the food as they're traveling. So they would have oil and wine to be able to prepare some sort of meal for themselves to sustain themselves. And this man says, you know what? I, I can go without I need to take care of this man. And the language here also insinuates that he poured lavishly over this man. He poured lavishly over this man. At this point, you know, he could have told himself, all right, I did good. You know, like I stopped and I I saw the man and I bandaged him up and I, I, you know, I'm trying to help him out. You know, I've done my part. Have a good day, sir. We'll see you later. No. He picks up the man. He puts the man on his own donkey, and he takes him to an inn. He takes him to an inn to take care of him, and he stays with him all evening to make sure that he's okay, to just do whatever he can to take care of this man all evening. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I'm, I'm really good at talking myself out of, of helping someone for 15 minutes. You know, like I got somewhere to be, uh, love you, but gotta go, all right? Like that's, that's how, this man stayed with him all night at this inn. The next day, he goes to the innkeeper and he gives him two denarii for his stay at the end, at the inn. And so for some frame of reference, uh, a denarii is about a day's wage, okay? Um, and they actually have found an old, in this time frame, an old Roman inn where there was like this board that like etched how, how much it cost to stay at an inn. And it was one thirty-two thirty-second 
of a denarii. So this man, he, can, he gives him two denarii. He gives him a two-month stay. We're not talking about just getting him through the day, getting him through the night. No, he, he went beyond that. He said, you're covered for two months. Stay, heal, get well. And on top of that, he tells, he tells the innkeeper, hey, take care of him. It doesn't matter what, it, what he needs. It does not matter. Take care of him. And I, when I get back, I'll cover everything. I've got it all. I'll repay you everything. Listen, it doesn't matter. Take care of him. Take care of him. And I've got it. Jesus is telling this story to paint a picture of what it looks like to love limitlessly, to, to truly lavish someone with love. After Jesus shares this parable, he then, he looks to the lawyer and he says, now which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man. See, Jesus spun the question around. The man asked, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus took the question from who's your neighbor to will you be a neighbor? Will you be a neighbor? To anyone that you cross paths with in any way, shape, or form, who will you be a neighbor to? Anyone that you cross paths with in any way, shape, or form, and especially if they have a need, that is his definition of a neighbor. That's the Jesus definition of a neighbor. It's not about proximity. It's about humanity. It's not about nearness. It's about need. We are to love our neighbor. And so the lawyer responds, and he says, the man who showed mercy toward him, and Jesus said, now go and do the same. Amen. Jesus is saying, now go. Go and love everyone all the time in a limitless kind of way. That sounds pretty challenging. Go and love everyone all the time in this lavish, limitless kind of way. What Jesus is trying to point out to the man is, listen, you can't do this. You gave me the law. You gave me the law that says to love God and to love your neighbor. And this is what loving your neighbor means, by the way. It's to love everyone all the time, limitlessly. Jesus is pointing out, listen, if you're trying to make eternal life through the law, you can't. You can't. Romans 8, verse 2 and 3, 
It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. You, you can't do this on your own. You need Jesus. You need to follow him. He's Listen, Jesus was constantly trying to say, hey, just follow me, wasn't he? He was constantly trying to say, just follow me. Follow me. You need Jesus. You need his grace. When I... Uh, when I truly fell in love, like just madly fell in love with Jesus, it was when I came to realize how I was lost. You know, like, uh, I, I got to admit to you guys, growing up, um, I kind of I felt more like this, this lawyer, this, this Pharisee. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought I had my stuff together. I, I, I thought I was good. You know, and, and, and because of that, I then would judge other people because, my goodness, they need to get their stuff together. I, I'm, I got my stuff together. And when Jesus, when I, when I came to realize how much of a sinner I am and how lost I truly am is when I fell so madly in love with him. Listen, he saved me. He, he saved me. We talk about this kind of stuff all the time here at church and it's really easy to glaze over, but but listen, I've been saved. <laughs> we, have to, we have to run to him. We have to follow him. Because when I fell in love with him truly, when I did that, all the, the, the judging that I did before, all of a sudden, I began to show more grace because I didn't have myself up here on this pedestal, all of a sudden I could, I could show more grace. Oh my goodness, like forget, don't worry about that. Like, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what he's done for you because listen, this is what he did for me. You know, like I was struggling with this and, and, and I didn't even realize it. Like I thought I was good and I thought I was great and all of that stuff. But listen, Jesus saved me from that. He saved me, I am free, he saved me like to share what grace really means rather than beating myself with shame, beating myself with guilt. But I'm free because Jesus Christ died on a cross for me. He died on a cross for you. And then listen, he rose from that grave. 
Yeah, he rose from that grave and now his spirit can live in me and he can help me. He can help me show more grace. He can help me help more people in need. He can show me what it looks like to truly love lavishly. But I need him. That step is first with him that I've got to follow him because then all of a sudden he shows me what it looks like to show grace to others, to help others, to help others in need. So listen, if you haven't, if you haven't given your life to him, I promise you, I promise you, it is the best decision you can ever make. In all the world, and all the things, the awesome things that come with it. The best decision is that you would give your life to Him. So you can do that right now. In this moment, He is here. I said, Jesus is here. If you wanna make that leap and you wanna begin to follow Him, just tell Him right now, I give my life to you. I am following you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave and now that resurrection power can live in me. I accept that. I follow you. I make you Lord of my life. It's available right here. So Lord, I pray. I pray that you would, I pray that you would help us open our eyes to what it looks like to love lavishly to love our neighbor, not just the, the near dweller, but anyone that I cross paths with, that I can, I can show them the love of you. God, help me to love in that way. I give myself to you. I commit to you. I, I want to give you all that I have, and I want to love my neighbor well.